folks and welcome back on this saturday the 23rd day of september and we're now into the fall season i'm your host mark call and as the intro music suggests tonight we're going to start off a bit differently than i sometimes do because that theme another one bites the dust kind of permeates much of the news this week from F-35s to once groundbreaking news operations that have turned into yet another fake deserving of its fate and on that latter score, I'm talking about Project Veritas, once one of the most consequential and feared conservative news outlets in the country over the last decade or more. But now it has been, like so many other institutions, destroyed by the communist cancel culture crowd. As Jim Hoff of the Gateway Pundit summarizes it, Democrats and other corrupt public officials, but maybe I repeat myself, grew to hate its founder, James O'Keefe, and his organization after years of exposing public fraud and corruption and exactly the kind of things they'd been getting away with. James O'Keefe left as Project Veritas CEO in February after a dispute, to put it mildly, with the organization's board when O'Keefe tried to fire the chief financial officer, which then set off a staff conflict, probably as intended, and O'Keefe was pushed out after which a number of staffers loyal to him also left. The now subverted organization removed O'Keefe from its board on April the 24th and formally fired him on May 15th. But late this week, on Thursday, the new CEO of the once great organization, Hannah Giles, announced that the subverted operation was suspending all operations and released the following statement. After the obligatory BS about what they managed to destroy, like the pursuit of transparency and truth in media, she says... Due to various events and circumstances, we are making changes in the operations of our organization, <laughs> including laying off additional employees. In other words, folks, they are gotten what's left and closing the doors. Our hearts go out to our colleagues. As for the rest of you, you can go pound salt as this difficult transition occurs. But hey, we did what we came here to do, right? Let's not mince any words about it. The statement closes with the usual continued lie saying Project Veritas continues to operate, but we're pausing our fundraising efforts and proactively taking steps to honor our donors' expectations and preserve the trust, yeah, sure, the American people have placed in us, unquote. And what else do you need to know? They're all but dancing on the grave. As TGP summarizes it, since O'Keefe was forced out, the organization has been under siege by staff revolts, board chaos, poor fundraising, and who'd want to give money to an organization like that now, and ongoing prosecutions and litigation by Democrats, the Biden regime, the deep state, and fill in the blank. Which takes us right to the saga of the stolen, oops, did I really come right out and say that? The missing F-35. You know, happens all the time. Still, though, you're probably not going to find it on eBay. Well, unless your name sounds, dare I say it, very Chinese. Or you have the right connections with the White Whorehouse. As you can see, folks, there's more than a little bit of skepticism surrounding this latest, literally unbelievable sequence of events. So let's pick up our coverage here, more or less at the beginning. 
one of the most sophisticated and expensive fighters just in the world is missing as of Monday morning, somewhere over or maybe in South Carolina, after a pilot was forced to eject for an unknown reason, leaving his F-35 stealth fighter in a zombie state. And uh, what happened afterwards is anybody's guess. But I guess you have to ask, have they found yet another new way to send equipment over to Ukraine? Probably only if the Biden Fuhrer manages to get his cut. I guess the point, folks, is that we're seeing so much incredible incompetence lately, it's hard not to at least think about asking the question. The incident occurred over North Charleston around 2 p.m. Sunday when two jets worth about a hundred million bucks apiece were flying side by side. The pilot ejected, parachuted into a residential area and was taken to a local hospital where he's in stable condition. His name hasn't been released and the Air Force just doesn't know what happened to the hundred million dollar aircraft. Over 24 hours later, they still didn't, or at least that's what they wanted us to believe. And by Tuesday, this was the story. Paging the pitiful pentagram, a pentagon. Somebody's found your missing $100 million stealth fighter. Nevertheless, again, say somewhat critical stories from Zero Hedge to the Daily Mail. The Pentagon is facing some urgent questions about how they managed to lose that $100 million or so dollar aircraft that was finally found crashed in a field just 80 miles from its base following a frantic one-day and four-hour-long search. We'll come back to that strangely long interval in just a second, folks. They're still not saying why the pilot was, quote, forced to eject, nor why the normally quite reliable transponder in that jet was inexplicably turned off, nor why the jet flew on for such a long distance and nobody seemed concerned about it crashing in a populated area, nor why the pilot, who normally would be reluctant to eject unless it was absolutely positively going down and imminently, seems to have punched out, well, maybe a bit early nor why his wingman didn't do either or both of the two things you might expect him to do, like see where his buddy went down first, and then follow the other aircraft, and then see where it went down. Nah, he just turned around and went home, landed without any problems back at the base. The spokeslayer for the base says, referring to the also evidently inexplicable transponder problem, that was for, quote, some reason we haven't yet determined, unquote. Well, at least it's a reason, folks. They're not wanting you to know. Now they're floating this little trial balloon, though, perhaps for reasons that might help explain some questions I'll ask in a second. The aircraft is so stealthy, it has different coatings, making it more difficult than a normal aircraft to detect. And oh yeah, the Pentagon has now reminded us that back in 2019, somebody was concerned that, quote, the plane could be vulnerable to attack by hackers, which may have sparked panic, says the Daily Mail, during that 28-hour search mission. Why, you might be wondering? Well, folks, because that's probably more than long enough to land that plane, take a bunch of expensive ordnance, avionics, and other equipment, including samples of the stealth coatings, and who knows what else the communist Chinese, Russians, North Korean, Iranian, or even somebody that's buying influence in the White House might want and be willing to pay for, and then fly it somewhere and crash it, or even replace it with something else, and crash that in its place. Notice you're not seeing close-ups of the debris field, and probably wouldn't recognize what was in there if you did. By Friday, people were even asking questions like, hey, why didn't we see a crash? Why didn't we hear a boom? With some wags saying, hey, maybe stealth fighters are so stealthy, they're even invisible when they crash. And yeah, more and more people were asking the same question a lot of skydivers get asked. They call them woofos. Woofo, you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. And I guess, woofo, you want to eject from a perfectly good airplane. As a TGP headline put it, critics just aren't buying the story of why the pilot allegedly ejected from a $100 million F-35 fighter jet. 
which then proceeded to recover and fly on, or did it, for an unknown distance. We don't know exactly how far, because where the pilot landed seems to be subject to revision as well. Boy, nothing about this story, folks, has remained constant over time, except the obvious fact that what we're hearing isn't the whole story. His identity still hasn't been revealed, no wonder. But what has been revealed is his supposed story about why he ejected from that $100 million U.S. Marine jet. According to the New York Post, the pilot claimed he lost the plane in the weather. I know student pilots that might say that about a Cessna 150, folks, but eh, not so much for a $100 million aircraft built as the most high-tech all-weather weapon system on planet Earth. But all of this does beg at least one obvious question. I wonder what the big guy cut for a stolen stealth fighter might be. And I know what we're all thinking. Oh, gee, could the United States really have descended that far? Did this pilot sign up not because he wanted to fly fighter jets, but because maybe he wanted a free Willy Wonka transgender job? Did he skip instrument flying in favor of LGBTQIA indoctrination? Or just maybe, folks, it boils down to, if you can buy the presidency of the United States, how much does it cost to make off with an F-35? Well, let me put it this way. The fact that this is an outlandish question that, if you think about it, you have to recognize isn't nearly as outlandish as it should have been, would have been, and could have been if we hadn't seen all kinds of other things that were even worse, like stolen elections, open border invasion, taxpayer-funded bioweapons released on a gullible world, and people force-injected with poisons against their will. Oh yeah, and let's not forget the traitorous General Marxist Milley, who openly came out and said he was committing treason, by admitting, back while the elected President Trump was still commander-in-chief, that he would disobey a direct order and tip off communist Chinese generals, his good buddies, rather than follow his orders in an outright war scenario, for which he should have been court-martialed. And this traitor, folks, is still chairman of the Joint Chiefs, at least for a few more days. And is that some suspicious coincidental timing? Oh, certainly not. Yeah. If you're not asking these questions, and let's be honest, if the military, at least what's left of it, isn't asking this question, somebody's lying to you. Okay, well, we know that's true, so, uh, yeah, where does that take us? Well, how about right here? Also a story from earlier in the week that didn't get the coverage it probably deserved, but we can guess why. There have been five U.S. prisoners released by Iran. The cost? Six billion bucks in frozen funds. Hey, that's only 1.2 billion apiece. And ironically, you can certainly buy the fake president's son for a hell of a lot less than that. Maybe a few stealth fighters while you're at it. The U.S. prisoners are now on their way back to America. One of them says he can't wait to go to the Apple store and buy a new iPhone. Guess you'd have to say one thing's for sure. Americans who protest rigged elections don't see this kind of treatment. But this is the part that I thought was interesting, folks. Of the five men that were released by America and are being returned to Iran, whoops, wait a minute, no, only two of them are actually returning to Iran. Two of them say they're going to stay right here in the United States, despite, this is kind of interesting, being convicted of acting against America on behalf of Iran. Who knows, maybe that means they got a cabinet position offer. Well, if that is, they meet the sexual perversion test, I'm sure. One has been allowed to flee to another country, at least for the time being. But no doubt, if he decides to come back in, there'll be a welcoming open southern border just waiting for him. Maybe some bus tickets to boot. The Daily Mail's coverage at least does get around to saying this. The biden Fuhrer regime has been slammed for the deal. Gee, do you think? Who could possibly have a problem with it? Which critics say is yet another example of the U.S. overpaying when it comes to um, foreign diplomacy. But still, only three of the five released U.S. prisoners have been publicly named. The mind boggles at the implications. 
Oh, yeah, and this I'm going to call a related story. The first of two actually comes from the all-news pipeline. Is America past the breaking point, they ask, in the migrant crisis? As if the answer isn't increasingly obvious. One sector alone, a Border Patrol sector in Arizona, is in a state of upheaval, it says, with agents receiving the go-ahead now to allow migrants to come out onto the streets in the face of overcrowded detainment facilities that are filled to and beyond capacity. According to Fox News, the Tucson sector is experiencing 2,000 thousand illegal border crossings per day over the last three days, prompting agents to resort to street releases in order to provide relief for the overpacked shelters. Just not the overtaxed people of all of southern Arizona. Sources speaking to Fox News asserted that border authorities have apprehended over 9,000 illegal aliens at the Arizona border this week alone, and the number of migrant encounters was 140,000 in June, 180,000 in July, and is expected to surpass 230,000, almost a quarter million. That's one state alone, folks, for August, one month alone, which would make it the sixth month during the fiscal year to have exceeded the 200K per month mark. And how many are actually foreign troops or outright terrorists? Well, guess what? They're not going to tell you. And how bad is it? Well, folks, it's so bad even New Yorkers have almost had it with the leftists. The occasional cortex got hackled over the weekend over the exact same issue. And even Communist Mayor Eric Adams said that the immigration plan that they want had better include stopping the flow at the border. Or it's a, quote, failed plan. Gee, do you think? Here's one more very much related story, courtesy again of the Daily Mail in the UK. Footage, it says in the headline, shows migrants cheering and hanging off the sides of a packed train as it rolls towards the open U.S. border with Mexico while the crisis grows. A freight train packed to capacity with migrants has been captured on video as it travels full speed ahead towards the U.S., well, not anymore, border. Footage shows the Ferromex train departing the central Mexican city of Zacatecas, headed 750 miles towards El Norte. And this video, they note, probably redundantly, comes as more recent data from the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, SIC, reveals increasing numbers of encounters with migrants at the open southern border. Yep, says a piece several paragraphs down, the train was headed for that open border, where in the southwest roughly 2 million migrants have already invaded America, just in 2023 alone, while border towns are being crushed by the influx, thanks to, and at least they get this part right, the lax border policies, sick, of the biden Fuhrer regime. <laughs> no, folks, it's not lax border policies. It's an open invasion invitation. And it's treason, if you understand the meaning of that word, according to what was once called the Constitution for these United States. But wait, folks, when it comes to the border invasion, sadly, we're just getting started. So as the first story here from the New York Post, an unprecedented surge of this time 4,000 migrants streamed across the U.S. border from Mexico into Eagle Pass, Texas on Wednesday alone, forcing the overwhelmed city to declare a state of emergency. This was after the mayor said a separate 2,500-person mob crossed the border into the city illegally on Monday, on top of about 7,200 other illegal crossers who were apprehended over the previous week. And Mayor Rolando Salinas said that the newest mob, many of them from Venezuela, had overrun Mission Border Hope, the only migrant shelter in the border city. Speaking to the Post, the mayor said that the huge influx over the past week, close to fully 50% of the city's population of only 29,000, has taken a huge toll, as you might expect, folks, on our local resources, especially the police force and fire department. And part of the problem, he said, 
A lot of these migrants, they're single males. What do you bet they're fighting age two, folks? And they don't want to listen to instructions. And they're leaving the facility, said the mayor. Not all of these people come in peace. <laughs> well, gee, folks, isn't that surprising? Here's another bit of information from the same area. Turns out that so-called Customs and Border Patrol, now the question is at whose order, but we can probably guess, has cut a bunch of barbed wire in order to allow illegal aliens to continue their invasion of the USA. Says Hal Turner's radio show, linking the video, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents have been caught committing what's arguably treason by giving aid and comfort to invaders crossing the U.S. border illegally, and the video shows them doing it. And it was taken in Eagle Pass. Texas. They've not yet confirmed the identities of the uniform Border Patrol officers, but they say we're working to publicly identify them, as well as those who may have ordered the action. And again, another witness comes from the Daily Mail, which says that 10,000 migrants, some of us might use the term invaders, and I think we'd be more correct, have crossed illegally into Eagle Pass, Texas in the last 24 hours, triggering that state of emergency in these small but increasingly Literally cancerously growing border town where shelters, hospitals, and just about everything else have now been overrun. Residents say it's the worst border crisis they've ever seen. Fox News cites Border Patrol agents who say they've encountered 10,000 in a single 24-hour period, one of the highest numbers they've ever seen. Meanwhile, the Biden Fuhrer has sent 800 troops to the border, ready, to assist. And you can guess what that amounts to now, can't you? I think it's certainly fair to ask the question, assist who and in what? And by Friday, we had this from the Gateway Pundit. Texas Governor Greg Abbott declared that there was an invasion going on at the southern border, attributing it not to the Biden Fuhrer directly, but those that, among others, are pulling his puppet strings, in this case, Mexican drug cartels. The declaration says Jim Haas' story comes as Governor Abbott takes a firm stance against the escalating security crisis and the influx of criminal activities from across the border. I have, he said, declared an invasion at our border because of Biden's policy. And we've deployed the Texas National Guard, DPS, and local law enforcement. We're building a border wall, you know, the one that he took down, along with razor wire and marine barriers. We are also repelling migrants. This after he noted that the Biden Fuhrer cut wire that was already in place, opening the floodgates to illegal immigrants. He had to repair and reinstall it. And this is probably important. The letter pulls no punches, says the Gateway Pundit, accusing the regime of violating the U.S. Constitution. What, again? By failing to do what it says, protect the states against invasion as per Article 4, Section 4. I'll go back to Hal Turner's speech for the conclusion here. The American people, he wrote, are being willfully betrayed by what were at least once called our own public servants. Yeah, sure, but no doubt about it. This quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, and smells a whole hell of a lot like treason. But don't worry, folks. If the war comes to America's borders, American boys can rest assured they'll be set off to die and defend somebody else's borders. Wait a minute. Who are we kidding? They'll be anxious to kill lots of American girls, too, just like we're already seeing in the grade schools. This piece comes courtesy of NewsTarget.com and Bell Carter, and also the U.S. Army War College, which has issued a new report saying that war with Russia, which seems increasingly inevitable, could massacre some 50,000 Americans every couple of weeks, and forced conscription of young Americans is now inevitable, as they put it. Now, right up front, I want to pause and note that, let's see, 50,000 Americans every couple of weeks... 
if that was allowed or able to go on, that would be two and a half million or so in a year. Clearly, folks, that's unsustainable. I once might have said ridiculous, but that was before I saw all the other idiocy that now passes for normal. But still, that might mean that they're killing them off on the Ukraine front of World War III almost as fast as the Biden Fuhrer is importing new replacements across the southern border. These numbers, folks, anyway, you slice it are downright staggering. And they also say this one's for all the marbles, the complete destruction of what's left of the once free United States, all the while claiming to defend Ukraine while destroying America. Says the story, though, in the autumn issue of the U.S. Army War College's Parameters publication, a quarterly refereed forum that furthers the professional development of senior military officers on national security affairs, it says, the call to action on a possible, I would say planned, war with Russia that will kill about 50,000 Americans was presented, and it pointed out that this massive loss of service members will trigger conscription to fill the ranks. According to the 13-page write-up, the U.S. Army faced a similar strategic inflection point after a failed counterinsurgency effort in Vietnam 50 years ago. And in response to lessons learned from the Yom Kippur War, TRADOC, the Army Training and Doctrine Command, was created to reorient thinking and doctrine around the conventional Soviet threat. They also exposed significant vulnerabilities in what's called the Army's strategic personnel depth and their ability to withstand and replace casualties. And because of this, the Army Theater medical planners, they say, may anticipate a sustained rate of roughly 3,600 casualties per day, ranging from those KIA or killed in action to wounded in action or suffering disease or some other non-battle injuries. So with a 25% predicted replacement rate, that means the personnel system will need about 800 new bodies each and every day. And in large-scale combat operations, the story notes, the U.S. could experience the same number of casualties in just two weeks that were sustained in 20 years of fighting wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and before that, of course, Vietnam. No wonder they're concerned that people don't seem to want to sign up to be force-fed transgender ideology and be turned into little LGBTQIA plus wokesters, or perhaps, much less, be killed in mass to support somebody else's border war while our own is literally being overrun. Next, a continuing story that we've been warning about literally for months, if not years at this point, and it seems to be accelerating by the day, mostly, though, behind closed doors. And this comes from Children's Health Defense, which is Robert F. Kennedy's organization, via Dr. Michael Nevraticus, Ph.D. Over the objections of 11 nations, it begins, the United Nations General Assembly president today approved a declaration on, uh, get this, pandemic prevention, yeah, sure, that seeks to create a global plan. Pandemic, and I pronounced it correctly, authority. Critics, that would include your host, said the declaration supports COVID-1984 style restrictions, including, quote, closing schools and disproportionately throwing women out of work and into poverty. Isn't it funny how the Wolksters think that that's the most important thing rather than just killing little kids and turning people into uh, victims of the mass death that's being plotted for them? The United Nations General Assembly president announced a non-binding U.N. declaration on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response, PPPR, without bothering with a full assembly vote and, in fact, over the objections of 11 different nations. Critics call the declaration, which seeks to create that global pandemic authority with the power to enforce lockdowns, universal vaccination, which really isn't, and censorship of what they call misinformation. They called it hypocrisy and perhaps a bit closer to the mark, unhinged. 
In practice, says the author, the declaration is a key step towards global coordination in what they claim is pandemic prevention and public health. And what we know by experience is exactly, precisely and calculatedly the opposite of that. According to who? I'm not going to quote who. With this one interesting exception, and I'm not going to quote what who said about it because they're liars and the truth is not in them. But the who also claimed that the PPPR aims to, quote, apply lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. And that, folks, is true, even if they're going to try to sell it to you backwards. We'll skip over some of the comments from the sycophants, but as the author says, other experts took a dimmer and different view. Author and podcaster Frank Gaffney, founder and president of the Center for Security Policy, told the Defender that it's very worrying that the UN and WHO will, quote, further encourage, if not actually authorize, the kind of standing capability or authority on their part to essentially dictate what constitutes emergencies. And there's no doubt about it, he added, what that does to American sovereignty, or what was left of it. But i got to close out the segment by adding one more time. Does anybody still think that isn't precisely at least a big part of the plan? We'll be right back. I'm a patriot. Color me red, white, and blue. Hello, hey. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. I am again your host, Mark Hall, and I want to start this one off with a bit of, well, this one I had a little trouble labeling. The absurd, the offensive to your intelligence, or the just plain so idiotic that nobody would have even believed it a few years ago before most of the crowd under age 30 was dumbed down by the public cesspools to the point where they didn't even have a basic enough understanding of physics, chemistry, elementary logic, human life, or about anything else to know when they're being lied to. Or even more basically, to see contradictions that once upon a time should have just leaped off the page, well, out of the cell phone at them. So, see if you can spot the problem with this one. First example, anyway, from the Daily Mail out of the UK. Nearly 30 tons of ground beef sold in three states is being recalled, booga, 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 due to fears that it might be contaminated with what? The spike protein? mRNA? Lipid nanoparticles? Graphene oxide? No! The dreaded E. coli, which might make you have diarrhea, but probably won't destroy your heart, your lungs, or your immune system. Can you see the contradiction here? Yep, could be a potentially deadly food poisoning bug, even though evidently nobody, and that means zero, count them, uh, on the fingers of no hands, zero people have actually gotten sick. And I think that means that nobody's died. Oh, and by the way, all you got to do is just cook this meat, and that kills E. coli anyway. No wonder the Biden viewer and his minions want to take away your gas stove. But ponder the irony here, folks, and that's the real point. Why, if this was a Cyclone B injection from Moderna or Pfizer, they'd keep on doing it, even after a 100,000 or so had not only gotten sick, but keeled over dead, some of them on national TV. 
If you're not mad, folks, you're not paying attention. The three, and in this case, four-letter health agencies, want you to believe they actually care about you. All the while, they're trying to kill you and not even hiding it. A clearly related story next from Daisy Luther, the organic prepper, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, and Chicago's Mayor, Brandon Johnson, communists, both of them, want to heap more taxes on grocery stores to punish them for the high biden fewer like prices, while Chicago's dictator thinks the answer is more communism. City-owned and controlled grocery stores. And if you thought it was bad before what they wanted you to eat, folks, just wait. Why, look, says Daisy Luther, what was done in Venezuela that led to even more widespread hunger after the government took control of food production and distribution facilities. Not only that, they began to force farmers to produce food, at least a little bit of it, for less than the cost of growing and raising it. They rationed food to families and even began to track people who were trying to grow their own food. In short, they kind of pulled a Biden, or at least a communist Chinese party control mechanism, They made every terrible decision it was possible to make, all the while trying to get you to believe it was for your own good. Yeah, sure. The criminality kept oozing out as well this week, including things like the testimony of former D.C. Police Chief Stephen Sund before the House Administration Subcommittee on Oversight, entitled Oversight of United States Capital Security and Assessing Security Failures on January 6, 2020. While we certainly know that Chief Stephen's son has been an outspoken opponent of nutcase Nancy Pelosi over her failure to, uh, at minimum, secure the U.S. Capitol that day, and arguably something far worse, he called her out under oath for a great big whopping lie. Pelosi, as you may know, claimed she never spoke to the guy. But son says he has the receipts, and furthermore, he talked to her not once, not twice, but three times on that very fateful day. In response to a question about how, quote, Speaker Pelosi called for your resignation on national TV and stated that she hadn't talked to you since the initial breach of the Capitol in your transcribed interview, you said otherwise. You were on with her several times. Can you explain the discrepancy? And yes, said Chief Sun, that's correct. I spoke with Speaker Pelosi three times that evening, and she went on national television and said I'd never spoken to her, but I spoke to her three times. Those three times were, he said, first when I went over to brief Vice President Pence at the same location, I talked to the House Sergeant at Arms Irving and told him I was going over to brief the Vice President, and I was also going over to do a personal assessment of the Capitol. At that point, things were getting under control, he said. Went over there, briefed him on whom he can get them back into chambers with Mr. Irving being fully aware. He said he wanted to get Speaker Pelosi on the phone. He made a call from his cell at approximately 534 when I first briefed Speaker Pelosi. The second call was when I left that location. As I was walking away, I met up with Mr. Stinger. While we were walking, a woman named Jennifer Hemingway handed me her cell phone. It was Emily Barrett's cell, and it was Speaker Pelosi on the other end of the line. That was my second call, he said, with her questioning the information I'd given to Vice President Pence about when we can get back into chambers. I assured her that was correct. I'd get him back by 7 o'clock p.m., and the call ended. That was number two. Call number three was at 6.25 p.m., he said. I was over at the Senate from the secure location. And using Robert Karen's cell phone, they dialed leadership, who was also over off-site at a secure location, and I briefed all of leadership of the plans to get them back into chambers. That would have been, he said, call number three with Speaker Pelosi. And he told the subcommittee he has the documentation to prove that what he was saying was accurate. So she lied about all of that, and I guess the obvious point is uh, that is just the tip of a titanic-sized iceberg of lies.
But this one, though, concerning the overthrow of the U.S. government that actually happened a lot earlier than January 6th, is arguably even bigger. As reported on Tuesday, says another piece from TGP and Jim Hoff, the House Judiciary Republicans sent out a letter that includes a transcribed bunch of testimony from former assistant director in charge of the Washington field office, a scumbag, and that's my terminology, folks, named Stephen D. Antuono who testified that the FBI had a number of confidential human sources, or CHSs, right there in the crowd on January 6th. Gee, who could have thought it? In fact, he said, they had so many FBI operatives in the crowd, they just plain had no idea how many were actually there that day. Although he didn't quite emphasize it the way that it should have been. Yep, says TGP, Antuono had quite a record of failures and outright lies during his tenure at the FBI. He was head of the FBI Detroit field office, as that so-called bureau was investigating. Yeah, how's that for a word that needs sick afterwards? The supposed kidnapping attempt against Michigan tyrant Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And we know what a debacle that turned out to be and how many lies were told there. At least we ought to. And you probably recall that plot wasn't just investigated, but instigated by the FBI, with the jury hearing that the Bureau's informants gave drugs to those who were eventually charged in the plot before recording their conversations, and that the plotters were sometimes outnumbered by the FBI confidential human sources during the meetings. The entire plot, in other words, was hatched, planned, paid for, and executed by paid FBI informants, at minimum. Well, in the letter released Tuesday, DeAntuono told House investigators he didn't even know how many FBI agents had infiltrated the crowd on January 6th. But he had claimed that it was only a handful of FBI informants in the crowd that day. And for two years now, says the Gateway Pundit, they've been reporting on FBI informants and other feds who infiltrated the Trump crowds on January the 6th. And now we can report, they say, for certain that assistant director in charge of the Washington field office, Stephen D. Antuono, is lying about the number of operatives, FBI agents, and informants in the crowd on January 6th. And they go through three pages, folks, of documentation about what that means. From there we go to a story and clip courtesy of the Gateway Pundit and Representative Troy Nels of Texas, in which the aforementioned representative, I guess you'd have to say, tears a new one in the scumbag Merrick Garland, the traitor who is arguably the most corrupt attorney general in American history, and that's saying a lot during a recent House Judiciary Committee hearing, to examine how politicized the U.S. Justice Department has become and furthermore has been weaponized under Garland to terrorize honest Americans while protecting the criminally treasonously guilty. Representative Nels let Garland have it, forced him to watch a video of the Biden Fuhrer and his quid pro quo. You've heard it here a bunch of times, folks. Threatening to fire, back when he was VP, Victor Shokin, the prosecutor general, who was doing the unforgivable, so far as the Biden crime family was concerned, and actually investigating Burisma and its connections to the uh, big guy and the criminal crackhead son, Hunter. Let's let the American people decide. Play the clip. Play the clip. And I'm going to edit this a bit since you all have probably seen it and heard it many times. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from Pay attention, uh, sir, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had they were walking out to the press conference. I said, no, nah. I said, I'm not going to, or we're not going to give you the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. 
Mr. Attorney General, what you just saw there was Joe Biden in his arrogance and role as the vice president in this country saying if you don't fire Shokin, the United States isn't given the $1 billion loan. Why would Joe Biden say that as the vice president? Why would he say such a thing? Was it policy? Was it our policy at the time? Yes or no? It wasn't. I have documents here. Interagency policy committee dated a quarter of information. Is the gentleman ever going to let the I'm on my time. Pipe down. And by the way, that was another well-known scumbag and complete obstructionist, Jerry Nadler, who's been doing the business of blocking any actual investigation forever. It's about time the good guys stop putting up with this crap. Pipe down. Saying Shokin had made significant reforms. He's made significant reforms. Shokin did. Matter of fact, John Kerry says he was impressive. And you know, within a few months after Shokin was fired, they appoint a prosecutor that said, we're not going to look in the Burisma anymore. Cancel that. Forget it. We're not looking in the Burisma. Joe Biden threatened the Ukrainian president and the prime minister. Everybody can see it. The fire Shokin or the United States won't give the billion dollars. If that is not quid pro quo, sir, what is? I will tell you what it is, and America agrees with me. It's bribery, and it's impeachable. Are you going to do something about it? I bet you not, and that's why you, sir, also need to be impeached. Still, of course, don't hold your breath. Well-known epidemiologist and cardiologist and now Zyklon B, not vaccine critic, Dr. Peter McCulloch, spoke to the European Parliament recently and had some pretty dramatic things to say. No wonder they're being ignored. Since 2021, the vaccines have ravaged the population in the world. Worldwide, two-thirds of people took a vaccine. The United States COVID community state study shows 75% of Americans took a vaccine. Thankfully, 25% didn't. I was the only public health and public figure in the United States in writing to question the vaccines before they came out. And I did it as loudly as I could. The COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, 94% of Americans took a messenger RNA vaccine. It is the genetic code for the potentially lethal spike protein part of the virus. It was the worst idea ever to install the genetic code by injection and allow unbridled production of a potentially lethal protein in the human body for an uncontrolled duration of time. Everything we've learned about the vaccine since they've come out is horrifying. The spike protein, he said, is proven in 3,400 peer-reviewed manuscripts to cause four major domains of disease. One is cardiovascular disease, i.e. heart inflammation or myocarditis. And the damage, he said, in the human body from the vaccine is substantial, more than anything we've ever seen via other lesser problems like cholesterol, high blood pressure, or diabetes. We've seen cardiac arrest, he said, two years after these shots. Every regulatory agency agrees the vaccines cause myocarditis. I'm a cardiologist. He lamented the fact that kids and other young adults were being given this stuff, especially athletes. There was no medical need for it, and it was causing heart attacks. I'm telling you as an expert cardiologist, these cardiac arrests are due to the COVID-19 vaccine until proven otherwise. They are. And there are lots of other heart-related issues as well. Posterior orthostatic tachycardia sonora POTS, or people passing out due to low blood pressure. You have seen montages of people in the media, one after another, passing out like you've never seen before. It is the vaccine until proven otherwise. And did you catch that? What? You mean you give people, by the hundreds of millions, an untested, well, at least among people anyway, 
experimental vaccine, and then all kinds of nasty stuff happens, and we don't automatically presume the obvious, that it just might be the thing that you just did? He is saying the unsayable here. And the problem is, the body learns to make the spike protein, and it's not broken down. It cannot be broken down. There's not a study showing it leaves the body. And he continued to describe just how nasty the spike protein that the body is being reprogrammed to make really is. We have the spike protein, the lethal protein from the vaccines found in the human body after vaccination circulating at least for six months, if not longer. And if people take an injection in another six months, there's another installation in more circulating potentially lethal protein. The expert cardiologist then goes on to put literally the nail in the coffin. The cardiovascular domain of damage in the human body from the vaccine is substantial, more than anything we've ever seen with cholesterol, high blood pressure, or diabetes. But remember, folks, he said up front that it's not just heart disease. There are three other major domains of death associated with the Zyklon B injection. By the way, that's your host term. Dr. McCulloch hasn't yet used it, but he's pretty well making it clear that it's apropos. The second major domain is neurologic disease, stroke, both ischemic and hemorrhagic. Guillain-Barre syndrome, ascending paralysis that can lead to death, which it has led to death with messenger RNA vaccines, uh, agreed to by our, all of our regulatory agencies, small fiber neuropathy, numbness and tingling, ringing in the ears, headaches. These are common. Oh, yeah, and we can't forget this one. Third major domain, blood clots. Blood clots like we've never seen before. The spike protein is the most thrombogenic protein we've ever seen in human medicine. It's found in the blood clots. The spike protein causes blood clots. Blood clots larger and more resistant to blood thinners than we've ever experienced in human medicine. I have patients with blood clots now going on two years, and they are not dissolving with conventional blood thinners due to these vaccines. And listen to this. We can't get these out of the body. We can't get the messenger RNA or the spike protein out of the body as is continually produced. Can you guess what the last domain of death is? Oh, yeah, this stuff destroys people's immune systems. Fourth and last domain, immunologic abnormalities. Vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia and multisystem inflammatory disorder are early acute syndromes, uh, well-described, published. They have their own acronyms all agreed to by the regulatory agencies. Let's hear one of the most damning parts of this entire incredibly damning speech that literally says the World Health Organization, that would be WHO specifically, but that tragically now includes almost the entire world when it comes to so-called conventional health and medicine. They've largely been co-opted, and it's turned into something right smack out of the pit of hell. Here's how he put it. I'm the senior author on the largest autopsy study ever assembled of death after COVID-19 vaccination worldwide. We searched the literature, 600 papers, all the clinical findings, we reviewed them with contemporary knowledge, experts in pathology and clinical medicine. Our conclusion, 73.9% of the deaths after vaccination are due to the vaccine. They are due to the vaccine. When it's suspected myocarditis, in a second paper, of which I'm the senior author, it's 100% of the time. It's due to the vaccine, not COVID, respiratory illness, the vaccine. 
There it is, folks. You knew it. If you say it on two Facebook or X, the thing formerly known as Twitter, or if you basically just say it at all, you might be banned. You might be ostracized. Bad things will probably happen to you. How dare you speak the truth right out loud? Well, Dr. Peter McCulloch in front of the European Union Parliament just did. But still, he's not quite done yet. We are seeing now a third false narrative. The first false narrative was that the virus is unassailable. We have to stay in lockdown and be fearful. The second false narrative is take a vaccine. It's safe and effective. The third false narrative now is it's not the vaccine causing these problems. It's COVID. It's COVID that we saw back in 2020 causing all these problems in 2023. Don't fall for the false narrative. And he's absolutely right, folks. And understand this. They're not done yet. They're going to keep doubling down and pushing it. People are dying like flies. And guess what? It's not that we did it. No, it's that they're dying of something that we didn't give you enough poison injections before. So, yeah, we fooled you once. We fooled you twice. We're going to keep on fooling you with however many injections it takes. Oh, yeah, we'll eventually get around to the mark of the beast, too. He's right. It's a false narrative on top of a false narrative on top of a false narrative. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for the false narrative. The medical literature at this point in time is compelling. The Bradford Hill criteria for causality have been fulfilled. The vaccines are causing this enormous wave of of illness. He goes on, though, to deal with the question that almost everybody who's been duped into taking the poison poke sooner or later starts to ask themselves. How deadly was the batch that I took? Or the next one? Or maybe the next one? Now here, he kind of soft pedals what I think is the obvious answer. A lot of people got lucky. They didn't get the real poison poke. They got saline instead. Because after all, if they'd injected everybody with something that was that deadly, and we'd had even more deaths faster, even the most stupid of the dumbed-down guinea pigs might have started to figure it out. About 30% of people who have taken a vaccine have zero side effects, nothing, not even a sore arm, not even not even a sensation that anything happened with the injection. Those people appear to be fine forever, as if they didn't take a shot. All right, well, there it is, as if they didn't take a shot, or as if they took a shot and there wasn't really anything in it. And the, same, the data are the same in the United States in our VAR system. The second batch, batch group is about 70% of individuals And they have some moderate side effects, some trouble, but they don't seem to really uh, have serious events. And then there's that small third batch group, 4.2% in the Schmeling data. It's through the roof. Myocarditis, cardiac arrest, blood clots, hemorrhagic stroke, disabilities, sudden death at home in bed. And the data are the same in the United States. 4.2% of people in Europe right now are in trouble because they were unlucky enough to get a high-risk batch. In the United States, our CDC vSafe data, which is self-reported data, 10 million Americans, the number is 7.7% got so sick with a shot they had to go to the hospital and be treated or, and or be hospitalized. A Zogby survey done about a year ago, a big representative sample in the United States, found 15% of those who took a vaccine have some medical problem that they're dealing with right now. 
Remember when just one or two people that got sick or died, certainly less than 50 or so, after a new experimental drug was unleashed on a population would have resulted in that thing being banned, taken off the market, and maybe even apologies or lawsuits against the purveyors of poison? Well, we've come a long way, baby, right? So again, 4.2%, 7.7%, 15%. That's the penumbra. That is the Venn diagram that you're all going to be involved in the calculus. What's the path forward? And remember, folks, he's going to speak to the European Parliament, hosted by five members of the Parliament, or MEPs. What's the path forward? The path forward is clearly for no one to take another shot. No one. And he's not alone. In spite of the threat of losing their license and other recrimination, amazingly, other doctors are also coming forward and saying, hey, this stuff is deadly. Now, the World Council for Health, which is a multinational evidence-based physician and healthcare provider organization, on June 11, 2022, issued a pharmacovigilance report looking at 39 safety databases, including the... Uh, the, the WHO VisiSafe and the uh, EMA databases in the U.S. databases. And their conclusion was to remove all the COVID-19 vaccines off the market for excess risk of death. Excess risk of death. Okay. On the floor of the U.S. Senate, December 7th of 2022, I co-moderated a session and our expert panel by assent in the U.S. Senate, concluded all the COVID-19 vaccines should be removed from the market, all of them, no new boosters. And then in March 23rd of 2023, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, a fact, factual, fact-based, evidence-based, consensus-driven organization, just like the two others, also concluded to remove the vaccines from the market. So I submit to you the COVID-19 vaccines and all of their progeny and future boosters are not safe for human use. I implore you as a governing body, European Medicine Agency, to apply all pressure and due urgency to remove the COVID-19 vaccines from market. In the United States, it's going jurisdiction by jurisdiction, probably state by state will remove them off the market if the federal government doesn't do so. It's going to happen. It's going to happen all over the world. The WHO is standing behind these vaccines. They are far more of a problem than a help to the European Union. And it's my belief that the European Union, the United States, and all major stakeholders should actually completely pull out of the WHO. Okay, well, it's nice that he actually came out and said it. Guess what, folks? They're killing people, just like they're supposed to. And you know and I know that means it ain't going to happen. But at least there are a few doctors that are risking their careers and worse and speaking up. Take heed.